Thank you, worship team. Um, so blessed to have you guys. And Joel, just for leading the way that you lead in what you're going through with your family. I know for me it's a huge encouragement. I know for everyone else here, it's a huge encouragement um, to have you declare those things. So thank you, brother. Fantastic. How are we doing? Wow. How are we doing? Hey, here we go. Who's enjoying school holidays already? I'm it. Why are you laughing? <laughs> no, it's fantastic. It's great to have you here. My name is Dave and I'm one of the pastors here at Hills Baptist Verdun. Um, we are entering our Easter season, which is just the best time of the year. One of the leaders on our team describes as the grand final for the church. Uh, and that's exactly what it is. It is... The best time of the year where we just fix our gaze on the author and perfecter of our faith. We should do it every week. We try and do it every week, but there's something special about Easter. Uh, so I'd love to just encourage you again that this Easter, if you're planning on going away with your family, pack the car, but don't leave 10.40 on Thursday night. Leave 10.40 on Friday morning after coming to church. It's going to be a powerful, powerful weekend celebrating what Christ has done. We'd love to have you there. Um, as a part of that, we're going to start a new series today, a new teaching series. So if you're a visitor here, welcome. Uh, it's great to have you here. You picked a good day to come to church where we're starting this brand new series. And this series really was birthed out of uh, like a lot of ideas that I have is in the shower. Um, having a shower, just thinking away about life, praying for the church. And with everything that God is doing in our midst as a church, with the growth that we're seeing, with the challenges that we face, with the decisions that we face, that we're working through at the moment, God, I just, I was thinking about um, David and Goliath. And I was thinking about how, you guys know the story, how, how David comes and there's this giant Goliath who's against Israel and against the Philistines and he's hurling all sorts of abuse and and lies, and he's saying all these things about God and about Israel. And David says something really interesting. He says, you come against me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And as I was thinking about that, I got stuck. I got stuck on this one little thing, because I realised something is that David, like the weapon, the... The, the, the thing that caused, like the coroner wrote on the piece of paper, if there was a coroner at the time, cause of death, stone to the head. But that wasn't the weapon that David fought with. David didn't say, you come against me with sword, spear and javelin and I come against you with the might of my sling. He said, you come against me with sword, spear and javelin, I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts. And I realised that in that moment, David is not fighting with a sling and a stone. He's fighting the weapon of his warfare is the name of the Lord of hosts. And as I was thinking about this, God just dropped this phrase on my heart that said swords and spears. <coughs> and I felt like he asked this question saying, are you ready for the fight? Because let me tell you something. We have an adversary. We're going to look at that in a moment. He doesn't like a growing church. He doesn't want to see a church on the move in the Adelaide Hills. He doesn't like churches discussing this concept of unity and doing something together. Satan hates it. 
And so there will be battles coming our way in our personal lives, in our family lives, and in our church family life. The enemy does not like what is happening. We live in this world where there is a fight. And I felt like God said it's time to prepare the people for the fight. So we are going to talk about spiritual warfare for the next five, six weeks. Who is excited about talking about spiritual warfare? So let's pray and we'll get into it. And this is the prayer I felt God led us to pray this morning. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, give us this day our daily bread. Meet our needs. And forgive us our sins. And God, as we forgive, not while we think about forgiving, as we forgive those who sin against us. And Father God, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the power of the glory, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. So, swords and spears, if you have a Bible, can you please turn to Ephesians chapter, 10, uh, chapter 6, verse 10 to 13 is what we're going to focus on. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to 13, reading from the NIV, says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, (coughs) but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Another verse, another beautiful passage of scripture which comes to mind, which I want to set as a backdrop for this series, is 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5. Though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. If you're a note-taker here this morning, the title of this message that you might like to write down is A Tale of Two Lines, Part 1. <laughs> if you want Part 2, you've got to come back next week, but there's no way I can fit all of this into one sermon, so it's Part 1. And really what we're going to do today is we're going to do a scouting report. We're going to take a look at our enemy, we're going to take a look at our adversary, we're going to just unpack... Uh, what is this idea of evil in the world? Where does that come from? And, um, and then get stuck into that. But I don't know uh, if any of you have similar experience to this, but as a, as a kid, I used to have uh, these dreams sometimes where I would go to bed happy, healthy, everything was fine with the world, and then I would have these horrific nightmares where the ground would just be like teeming with snakes. Um, I would feel this oppression against me, this heaviness, spiritual heaviness that would rest on me, I'd find it hard to sort of even breathe in those moments, uh, and I'd wake up just full of fear, full of anxiety, full of um, stuff that's just not good. 
And I remember my mum said to me one day when I talked to her about this, she made the comment and said, David, next time that happens, what I want you to do is I want you to speak the name of Jesus. <clears throat> and as you speak the name of Jesus, you watch the darkness dissipate. So I shared a room with Phil growing up and we'd be in there, I don't know if he remembers this, but I'd be lying in bed and I'd be going, trying not to wake him up, and I'm like, Jesus, 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 Jesus. <laughs> Every now and then I'm like, oh, it's not gone. I'm going to say that Jesus. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> hoping that he wasn't waking up. But he should just say the name of Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And without fail, in declaring the name of Jesus, without fail, what I would find was all of a sudden those images of snakes and the darkness would start to fade away. And finally rest would come and I'd... Drift off to sleep with the name of Jesus on my lips. It was a beautiful thing that my mum taught me. But what is that? What is going on there? Modern psychologists would tell us that it is simply a matter of mindfulness. They would tell us that it's simply a matter of positive psychology, fixing our thoughts upon things which bring safety and security as opposed to fixing our thoughts on things which cause anxiety and tension. They would say that it's simply just the power of the human mind in terms of overcoming that. But I would respectfully disagree with that. I am I'm an advocate for positive psychology. I believe in the power of positive thinking. I believe in those things. But I think that sometimes psychology doesn't have the answers that we have. I think sometimes it goes beyond that. I think sometimes it's warfare. Sometimes it's warfare. Can I challenge you up here for a little bit? Is that alright? Can we get a little bit theoretical? This is, um, there's a, a great intellect by the name of Andrew Del Bonco. Everyone say Del Bonco. And uh, he wrote a book in 1995 and he called it The Death of Satan. Now Del Bonco is actually, he's, he's an intellectual and he's, he's someone who will happily profess that he's not a Christian. Right? Happily professes he's not a Christian. But as he started to logic and work his way through this idea of evil in the world, he, he reached a point in life where he felt like he didn't have the intellectual capacity to deal with the problem. Let me read you something that he wrote, because I think it's fascinating coming from someone who doesn't have a faith. And this is what he writes. He writes, A gulf has opened in our culture between the visibility of evil and the intellectual resource to cope with it. In the West, we have jettisoned the idea of cosmic or supernatural evil, meaning that we don't believe in it. In fact, we don't even like to use the word evil because it implies value judgments and moral absolutes. So instead we use medical terms like dysfunction and pathology. But as the 20th century has gone on, it's gotten harder and harder to say that holocausts, Ethnic cleansing, serial killings, and things like this are just, is just bad psychological adjustment. And in his book, he goes on and he actually quotes um, The Silence of the Lambs. And he talks about, he, he raises this scene where Detective Starling is meeting Hannibal Lecter, and she makes the comment, what happened to him to make him so twisted? And Hannibal says this, and you might picture... Uh, Hannibal Sayers, if you've seen that movie. <laughs> Nothing happened to me, Officer Stalin. I happened. You can't reduce me to a set of influences. You've given up good and evil for behaviourism. You've got everyone in moral dignity pants. 
Nothing is ever anybody's fault. Look at me. Can you stand to say I'm evil? And in his book, Del Bonco then goes on and he says, modern people cannot answer the monster's question. Because we live in this postmodern, post-Christian world where rational thought, supernatural thought, all of these things have just been... um, They've been saying that you can't have... There are no absolutes. There is no truth. Right? It's saying that... These, these things don't exist because there are no absolutes. There is no right and wrong. There is no such thing as good and evil. There is no such thing as real or imaginative. There's no such thing as male or female. And we live in a world that's starting to say these things. And what they're saying is, is that everything is simply just a byproduct of cause and effect. That all we are is the result of atoms that have collided in outer space, and ever since, cause and effect, cause and effect, education, sociology, psychology, all of these things play this role in shaping who we are and what we do. And so what DeBonco is saying is that if you carry down the plumb line of that train of thought, you get to this particular conclusion that actually that intellect doesn't do it. It doesn't make sense because by that reasoning... Nelson Mandela should come out of prison, not the person he came out of prison as. By that reasoning, we see children who were raised in this horrible, abusive homes. Let's say they're twins and one becomes what society says it would become. But the other becomes a passionate follower of Jesus Christ who's raising their family in the way they should go. And so modern modern science, modern thinking doesn't have an answer For the question, does that make sense? Is that okay on a Sunday morning to be getting you thinking like this? Some of you are like, oh my gosh. Modern thought can't deal with it. But guess what? The Bible can. Because the Bible provides an answer that modern thought cannot simply in that it declares that there is good and evil. The Bible makes this claim right from the beginning that there is evil in the world, that we do have an adversary. The Bible doesn't reject the fact that there is a sinful nature in human beings and that psychology, sociology, education, all these things can direct a human being and shape a human being and and cause the sinful nature that is within us to go down that path. But what it does say is that we can't create evil. That, create, that evil came from somewhere. And the Bible declares that, that it came through this personal devil, Lucifer, Satan. So that's what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> that's what we're going to talk about today. And let me tell you why. When I was a basketball coach, do you know what was really important? Preparation. If we wanted to win, if we wanted to play a game, if we wanted to enter battle against an adversary, we needed to know who they were, what their strengths were, and what their weakness was. And I still, to this day, have this really, I'm going to call it baggage. (laughs) We won five state championships in a row, then we missed one, and then we're in a grand final the next year against this this team, who we were better than, and we should have won. 
And we're about to play them in the final, and the people told us, because you play this carnival and you have three or four games on a day, then they said, you've got an hour and 20 minutes break. So I took the boys, we went to the change room, they all took their shoes off, we're having some food, we're chilling out, waiting for our game. And someone runs in and says, the game starts in five minutes. And I've got like my whole starting five with, I was going to say pants off, but they are wearing skin, so it's appropriate when you're a coach in that environment. <laughs> but they're just chilling, they've got their feet up, they've got ice on, they're eating like lollies, and they are not ready. We haven't talked about the team, we didn't prep at all. So there's this massive commotion. We bumble out onto the court. Uh, all my, like three of my key guys are still getting dressed, so they don't start. Do you know, within five minutes, we were down 16-0. And we lost that game by one point. And I'm still angry about it. Because it's, it's my fault. It's my fault, because I didn't prepare the boys for battle. So we played them again four months later in the national championships, and my goodness, were we ready. <laughs> we scouted, we had the video stuff, we knew them better than they knew themselves. We were so ready for that game, we knew every single play that they were going to run. At half time, guess how much we were up? 40 points. <laughs> Why? Because we were prepared. And I think sometimes in the church, when it comes to the nature of our enemy, the nature of evil in the world, the nature of these things, we get funny about talking about this stuff because we think, oh, it's not nice to talk about, but we need to talk about it. Because the Bible is, the Bible talks about it. The Bible is like, it says it right there, and then it goes, be like, take your stand against the devil's schemes. He's declaring that the devil has a plan, the devil has a way of going about things, and we should not be naive to it. But we need to know who we fight. We need to know how to fight him. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And then next week we're going to get stuck in a bit more. The tale of two lions. <laughs> who is this lion who prowls about like a roaring lion looking for someone to destroy? And who is the lion of the tribe of Judah who roars with might and power? And where do we stand and where is our victory? So let's get into it. Who is... Our adversary. The Bible, um, the Bible is really, really clear about this. We need to understand also that the Bible, the Bible's story is about God and humanity and the redemptive purpose. So He gives us windows and insights into that that spiritual realm. And there's some scholars who will talk about the fact that the angels were created at the same time that human beings were created. Others reject that. The Bible actually doesn't tell us. So we don't know when the angels were created. All we know is that they were created. Right? Alright, so here's the first thing is Satan is not God. Amen. Satan is not God. He is not omniscient. He is not omnipresent. And he is not omnipotent. He is not all powerful. He is not all knowing. And he's not everywhere. He's not that. He can only be one place at one time. And I think sometimes in the church we give him too much authority. We give him too much power. We speak, we, think, we speak too highly of him. And in so doing, we actually give him glory that's not his. So we need to understand who he is. C.S. Lewis says something really interesting. Who's read the screw tape letters before? If you haven't read them, read them. Read them. It's one of the greatest books, I think, ever written in Christian literature. C.S. Lewis is a genius. And that is an awesome book. Another book that you should read is Precious 
remedies for Satan devices, a Puritan writer called Thomas Brooks. And a lot of what we talk about in the next five, six weeks are going to come out of that, okay? So in your life groups, you can get it for a dollar on Kindle. <laughs> it's a dollar. <laughs> Buy it, read it, precious remedies against Satan devices. Side note, C.S. Lewis says this, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. We need to know who we're fighting so we know what we're up against. So, Ephesians 6.12, let's go there again. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Who is this? Who are we talking about? Genesis chapter 1 and 2. God creates, and it is good. good. It is very good. Things are going well. The end of Genesis 2, all is well. God is happy. Humanity is happy. Then all of a sudden in Genesis 3, there is a serpent in the garden. And he is not good. He is evil. Where did he come from? How did he get there? His story is told in Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14. Right? Who is this serpent? Go to Revelation 12.9. It says, The great dragon was held down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. Who leads the world astray. So it's pretty clear in who the serpent is. The serpent is this devil. Now who is he? Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14. It tells us about uh, this great angel called Lucifer. He was one of the three archangels. Michael, Gabriel, Lucifer. And it says that he was the most beautiful of all of God's creation. He actually was in charge of the worship ministry of heaven and the government of heaven. Sitting right next, like he was right in the presence of God all the time. That is who this Lucifer was. But something happens. The Bible tells us, let's go uh, to Ezekiel 28 verse 17. It says, your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So Lucifer apparently became so uh, prideful in and of himself that instead of worshipping God, he decided that he wanted to be God. He wanted to be the object of worship and affection. So pride filled his heart. And again, like there's a whole heap of questions around this, around the nature of free will and all these sorts of things, which we're not going to get into now. Pride fills his heart. And then in Luke, in Luke chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus says, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Second Peter 2.4 talks about that there were fallen angels who were cast down with him. So what we can deduce from Scripture is that Lucifer, who was his leading angel in heaven, became filled with pride. God cast him out of heaven, and in casting him out of heaven, he was there with a host of other angels fallen from the glory of God. That's our adversary. That's who we fought. That's who we fought. So he's puffed up with pride, he's craving position and power, stripped of authority, roaming about the earth. Now, why does he hate humanity? Genesis chapter 2 and 3. We know that the reason that he was puffed up with pride was because he wanted to be like he wanted to be like God. Yeah, he wanted to be in the image of God and like all angels, he wasn't. He was a servant, not a son. Amen? Yeah. 
And because he's a servant who gets cast out of heaven, he now comes to earth. What does God make in Genesis 1 and 2? He makes human beings in his own image. What does he give them? Dominion and authority to rule over the earth. The exact things that he craved in heaven, God has bestowed upon his creation humanity. So here we have the devil looking upon humanity and he is just raging with jealousy. That this, this, these beings would be made in the image of God and that God would give them authority and power and that he would love them more than anything else in all of his creation. So he despises humanity because that's what they are what he wished that he was. Which then brings us to this next question of, okay, well, if that's the thing, then, then how does he work? So he's fallen. He's, he, he hates humanity. So he's trying to bring about our destruction. Now, how does he work? And really, that's the question. Are you with me? You going all right yep. on this Sunday morning? You going okay? How does he work? Some Christians say this sort of stuff. They wake up in the morning. They've got their... Um, they forgot to put the basket of clothes because it's dark. You forgot to put them in the laundry. You left them by your bed. So you wake up and you stub your toe on the basket. And you're hurting and you're hopping along. And then you go to the kitchen. You pull out the milk for your coffee. And that's curdled and off. They go, oh, Satan's coming against me. I'm under spiritual attack. No, you're not. You're lazy. You should have moved the basket when it was light. And you should have bought, coffee, uh, bought milk. When it went out of day. Right? Yeah. And we have that tendency sometimes in the church. We make too much of him. We're like, oh, the devil's coming against me. No, he's not. He's just one dude. <laughs> Alright? He has his, his legion. But so often, it's just our own stupidity which is causing our issues. So often it's our own sin which is causing our own issues. It's not demonic oppression. Amen? You're right. Sometimes it is. Sometimes we are under attack and we need to know how he works. Alright, so how does he work? Let me show you something. First and foremost, God's not concerned. God is not packing his dacks about the devil. Alright? He's not. He's not. I remember this old Easter play that my old church did one time where they presented this thing and they're like, God did this and then humans did this and the enemy did this and then God breathed a deep sigh. Oh. And then they did the next thing. And then God breathed a deep sigh. Oh, at the end of it, I was ready. I was like, this is so annoyingly wrong. <laughs> they just made God out to be some reactive idiot to the enemy's schemes. No! God is sovereign over the enemy. Look at the book of Job. What does the devil have to do? He presents himself before God and he has to ask God's permission to touch his saints. Look at Peter. We'll talk about this next week. Jesus says, Peter, Satan has asked, demanded to sift you. He cannot touch a saint unless God allows it for whatever reason to bring about more glory to his son. He does not have any authority over God. Amen? Amen. God is sovereign over the enemy. God has defeated the enemy. At the cross. He is a defeated foe, but a broken stick can still cut you if you're not careful. 
The enemy is a defeated foe who goes about trying to deceive the people of God in a particular way. And here's how he does it. The first one is this. The first weapon that he has, and this is his only real weapon. right? The first weapon is what Colossians 2 calls the charge of legal indebtedness against humanity. Right? Colossians 2 calls it the charge of legal indebtedness. Everyone say indebtedness. Indebtedness. So this is his only real (laughs) weapon. And what that is, is simply the fact that as human beings, we are not perfect. See, what the enemy knows is that God is holy, he's perfect, he's magnificent. He cannot have intimate relationship with that which is not perfect, that which is fallen and flawed. And he says, like the Bible says, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Amen? And so because we have sinned, we have this charge of legal indebtedness, meaning that our actions have separated us from the eternal love of God. And the enemy knows that. So his task, that is his weapon, that is the ace up his sleeve. That is the very, that's the thing that he holds, because he wants to take that charge, he wants to wave it in front of God's face, and he wants to say, see, sinner, they've fallen just like me, and therefore they deserve the same punishment as me. Because you need to understand that hell is not God's, uh, hell is not Satan's palace, it's his prison. We have this view in our culture that he's down there with his pitchfork, like as God's anointed tormentor of humanity. No! Hell is his prison. The hell is created for the devil and his angels. So that they that is their place of rest. And his whole existence on earth, waiting for that final day, is to bring humanity with him by holding that charge of legal indebtedness against us, saying, You are sinners, you are fallen, you are far from perfect, you can't be in a relationship with that which is perfect. I fell for the same reason, so they're coming with me. But guess what? Colossians 2 says something pretty good about that. It says Christ has taken it away. Nailing it to the cross, disarming the powers and authorities, making a public spectacle of them by triumphing them. Triumphing over them on the cross. Mm, Colossians man. 2, 14 and 15. Good. Oh, can I preach next week for one second? <laughs> you need to know that the devil is not God. He might be a lion, but we serve the lion of the tribe of Judah. Right? He might be looking to steal, kill and destroy, but Jesus came that we might have life and life to the full, oh, friends. Yes. Good. We have a powerful, powerful Advocate in Christ who has taken the one weapon the enemy has and he's rammed it into a cross. And he said, follow me. And if we follow him, we give our lives to Jesus. We lay down our lives and we stop walking the same sin as the enemy. Stop walking in pride and walk in surrender to Christ, recognising that he is God. And the enemy has nothing of substance against us. I'm getting excited. I feel like preaching. I'm going to hold off. I'm preaching this next week. Do you know, C.S. Lewis again says this. It's funny how mortals always picture us. This is because screw tape letters, demons talking to each other. It sounds bad. It's a great book. They always picture us putting things into their minds. In reality, 
Our best work is done by keeping things out. 2 Corinthians 4.4 The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That, friends, is the enemy's play. That is his goal. His one goal is to stop us from seeing the light of Jesus. Now let me give you three things that he does, and then we'll close. Here's the first thing. The first way that he goes about this. Remember, he doesn't have the authority to touch us unless God allows it. But he does have the power, as he did in Genesis 3, as he's done all through history, to sit on your shoulder and whisper lies. He is the deceiver. His first tool that we need to be aware of is the tool of deception. John 8, 44. Jesus talking to the Pharisees of all people. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. He is a liar and the father of lies. You know, the Greek word for Satan is the word diablos, which literally means deceiver. That's how he operates. That's his first tool is to speak lies, to sit on a a saint's shoulder and to tell you you're not what you are. To tell you that God doesn't love you, that he is not for you, that you don't need Christ, that you are good by nature. All these things, you know, temptation is simply deception. Temptation is simply a lie saying that you need that more than you need the gospel. It's simply saying, well, he can do two things. He can, he can lie about and, and he can lift up that whole idea that, oh, well, God will forgive you, just do it. Or he can just say, oh, like he's just constantly whispering lies, trying to convince us we're not what we are. The second thing that the enemy does that he has is accusation. Someone say accusation. Revelation 12.10 Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God And the authority of his Christ have come For the accuser of the brethren has been thrown down He who accuses them before our God day and night The enemy he is an accuser of the brethren Right? Which means what often he'll do is He'll speak deceit into our eyes, into our ears He'll tempt and do all these things And he'll get us to make a bad choice And then the very next thing you do, accuse, 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 accuse. What a wretch. What a, ah, how could God love you? Ah, it just starts, it's still deceptive, it's still alive, but it's just this spirit of accusation. Are you with me? Who's ever experienced a spirit of accusation before? Five people. (laughs) I'll tell you, I have. And he's so good at it, he's been doing it for thousands of years. Just whispering lies. Picture Eve in the garden that God, he puts one tree and he fills the garden with beautiful trees to enjoy. And then the enemy comes and says, has God said you can't eat the fruit from the garden? Just a twist of truth to make us think that God is vindictive, that our God is not for us, that our God is not good. But as we sung today, God is so good. God is so good. So he's going to come against you through deceiving and he's going to come against you through accusation. The last way that he's going to come against us is distraction. 
He's blinded the eyes of unbelievers, as I said before. C.S. Lewis says this, Prosperity knits a man to the world. He feels that it's finding his place in it, while really, it's finding its place in him. Distraction. I think this is the great, the great device that the enemy has in the Western world, is distraction. Any opportunity to distract the people of God from seeking first the kingdom's righteousness. Any opportunity to distract the people of God from coming to a place where we have a revelation of our need for Christ. Look at our world. You can't go more than 30 seconds without a distraction. And like I said at the beginning, I'm not saying that every single distraction is the devil. I'm not saying your television is the devil. What I'm saying is that right at the beginning when the enemy brought sin into the world and he enacted that, we see evil at play from that moment on. With that evil in our hearts, there's just been distraction, 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 distraction. And it's a device that he has implemented in our world to blind the eyes. Deception, accusation, distraction. So what are we to do? I'm going to invite the band up. What are we to do? Ephesians 6. I love this. Verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God, which we'll talk about over the next few weeks, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. We skip over... And then he says, Therefore put on the full armour of God, so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand. And here's the simple thing. Do everything we can to rest in the armour of God. When deception comes, when lies are spoken, where do we go? truth. When accusation comes to tell you that you're less than what you are, that God cannot possibly love you, that God cannot possibly accept you, where do we go? Truth. When distraction abounds to pull us left and right, take us away from the heart of God and the heart of His people, where do we go? truth. Go to community, go to the things that God has put in place for us to run the race with perseverance marked out for us. Amen? Put on the full armour of God, the helmet of salvation, just talking about knowing some stuff, reading some stuff. Don't allow the distractions of the enemy to take you away from gaining a little bit of knowledge. It's amazing how a little bit of knowledge, when the devil came against Jesus, he used scripture, but he twisted it. What did Jesus do? Nailed him with scripture. Because he knew it. Put on a helmet of salvation. Guard your mind. Put on the breastplate of righteousness, which is guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Know that in Christ, we are the righteousness of God. Amen? Amen.
He has made us the righteousness of God through His blood. We're going to talk about that more next week, part two. The belt of truth, I already said it. Go to the Word. Get into the truth. Take up the set, the, the set, fix your feet with the readiness of the gospel of peace. It's a gospel. It's about the peace of God, what He has done in reconciling humanity to Himself. That's done. Fixed, set in stone for all of eternity. Nothing can wipe that away, ever. It's done. It's done. It's good. So walk in it. It's saying walk in it. It's saying that when you stumble and when you fall, don't allow yourself to be stuck in this accusation and dejection, but get back up and keep on walking. Because God doesn't sin as far as He is from the West, so far as He removed our sins from us. So He says, keep walking in that gospel. I've set you free, and the Son has set free, you're free indeed. Get walking. If you stumble, stumble in my direction. If you fall, fall on your knees. He says, take up your shield of faith. Can we be a people of faith? We believe what God has said is true. And then the sword of the Spirit. Oh, you get to take that thing out. <laughs> what that means is that we don't carry a corner behind a shield. You come against me with sword, spear and javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have to fight. And on this day, he says, I'm going to cut off your head. And he goes, and I'll feed your carpet. Like he just goes in this epic monologue, basically saying, I will not listen to your lies. I will not listen to your accusations. And though the things come against me in this life, I will not sit in this prayer, but I'm going to get my sword out. I'm going to declare some truth and I'm going to take ground from the enemy, not retreat. And that is the call of God on the church and it's on his people. To be a people who take ground in Jesus' name. We need to know our enemy's swords and spears, but by golly, we've got some weapons of our own. Which are far greater. And if you want to come back next week, we are going to talk about that. Because we serve an almighty God. So can we walk in victory this week? Can you recognise deception, accusation and distraction? Can you recognise those three things when they're coming against you, trying to convince you you're not what you are, when they're trying to take you from the plan and purpose of God on your life? And can you come around the truth? And walk in the victory of the gospel. Stand your feet. Let's pray. Loving God, I thank you for this, this great church, this great body of believers who you love. And God, I know that in this room right now, there are there are sheep, there's your people here who are they feel like they're under attack. There's lies being spoken over them about who they are and your call upon their life. We just recognise what that is right now and we come against it in the name of Jesus. We declare truth that you are a child of God, that you've been created in Christ Jesus to do the good works that He prepared in advance for us to do. Feel to speak that over people today around their um, 
their workplace, their profession. God has anointed, appointed and gifted you for a task. Don't let Satan talk you out of it. Lord, we pray for those who are coming under accusation, maybe sitting here in church right now, knowing that their, their walk hasn't been great last week. And Satan's using every possible opportunity to tear him down. We just declare that that charge of legal indebtedness that stood against him has been cancelled. Nailed to the cross. And we speak silence over the enemy and his servants and their works and effects. That that saint may get up on their feet and keep dancing in Jesus' name. And finally, I pray for all of us as a church here under distraction. And I know that hits 100%. So I don't need to ask for a raise of hands. But each and every one of us live in this world. God, I pray that this week we would fix our eyes on you. It doesn't mean we can't enjoy the show that we love. But God, let us not be distracted. Let us put you first. Let us come before you and long to encounter your presence. And as we do, watch the lies and the accusations fall to the ground. God, I thank you that you have shone your light in our hearts. That we are but jars of clay, but we do carry this great treasure, which is the gospel. May we go forth with that gospel in heart, the gospel in hands, the gospel in head. And run this race this week. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's children said. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.